You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. It's good to all see you all here today. You guys sound amazing. Again, I super appreciate our tech team, our worship team, and I just want to say hello to our brothers and sisters outside there as well. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning, whether you're here at 401 South Prospect, watching us online. Ryan, just wanted to say hello to you and Tiva and the rest of the family out there. I know you're uh, pretty excited about this Bengal situation that's been going on right now. I wish I could say I was, you spoiler, but anyway. Listen, I want to go ahead and start out with a prayer, and then I have a question for you, and we'll get into our primary text this morning, which comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Well, Father, I just want to thank you for another day in your kingdom. It's so amazing to be able to walk into this fellowship and know that we all serve a common purpose, and that's to have a relationship with you and take the opportunity we've been blessed with as disciples of Jesus Christ, just knowing the sacrifice that took place for the unity we have here to happen. Father, we thank you for the good news, which uh, was listening to something that Jack had on this morning, and it's not just the good news, God, but it's the best news. Thank you for the way that you bless us and watch over us. Right now, to God, I do want to pray for those that have suffered losses or are in the process of grieving. Father, help their hearts to heal. Special prayer for Mary Atkins, that, uh, who just lost an older brother here this uh, last few days, and uh, be with her. Uh, just uh, be with those that have health issues, God. Just help us to continue to focus on you, and we know that we'll be able to get through anything that comes our way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the uh, question I have for you this morning is, raise your hand. (laughs) Wow, what the heck's up with that? (laughs) Give me a second here. I'll be raising my hand more than likely right along with 90% of you this morning. But raise your hand if you sometime have a hard time hearing God's voice. Was that that hard? (laughs) Appreciate for those of you that participated, those of you that are a little reticent, amen. You're probably thinking, probably should raise my hand too, but it looked like it was pretty much everybody out there this morning. Uh, Is it possible to hear God today? Of course it is. Now, needless to say, our lives tend to be uh, defined by all kinds of interruptions. Our days and nights are full of tech, ping, buzz, beep, whatever it may be. Everything vying for our attention, everything trying to distract us. And I figured I'd start you out with a little sample. The title of the message this morning is Listen. And I uh, thought we'd have a little fun with this. And that, you know, I just wanted to state for myself, one of the ways that I've started out the year that's very different over however long we've had cell phones and we're able to download a dock, is I've pulled out that thing you see in between the headphones. And I actually am flipping pages, not scrolling. But I find it so amazing to be able to sit down like outside where there's not any Wi-Fi and be able to read the scriptures without any real distractions, without the vibrations and the notifications or all the rest of the stuff that goes on. Maybe you can relate to the next soundbite here. I don't know about you, my heart rate's already starting to go up here. 
There's another probably 30 or 40 seconds of that, but I'm done. I, seriously, I, 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 my breathing pattern changed. My heart rate started to go up. But, you know, this is the society we live in today. And uh, I think that probably got the point across. But just really thinking through things, understanding that our brains focus quickly on one topic and then switch to another. Now, some of you may, may be thinking, well, doesn't, that sounds a little bit like ADD. Um, yeah, it does. I suffer from attention deficit disorder. And through the years, I've had to find various systems to be able to navigate those waters and stay on task. I, I've had to combat my own attention deficit for years. And over the last decade, more and more of you have been welcome to my reality. What you experience today is what I've been experiencing for 63 years. So I think when it comes to distraction, we can understand what's going on. I think the, the playing field over the last few decades, this, or last decade in particular, has probably leveled out a little bit. And that we have, the reality that we have today when it comes to tech and social media is we have all these wonderful algorithms that all these brilliant people have come up with that have been developed to train our brains into this world of continual engagement with these multiple platforms that process and determine our buying patterns, ultimately getting rich off the information they harvest. Welcome to the Matrix. <laughs> you know, just really thinking this through, we've got to really understand what we're up against and how significant it is to make space in our lives, in particular making space in our lives for God. You know, uh, neuroscientists say that there are these fundamental biological limitations to what our brains can pay attention to. And I believe it. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, it, it's, no, it's kind of a no-brainer no to really think through what we've got going on. So before we go any further, for those of you that are on your phones, you'll be able to continue to scroll your Bibles more than likely, but please turn off your notifications because I need your focus. I'm about to drop a little bit of scientific information on you here this morning. We're going to start with a short video. Not so long ago, many scientists believed that the brain did not change after childhood, that it was hardwired and fixed by the time we became adults. But recent advances in only the last decade now tell us that this is simply not true. The brain can and does change throughout our lives. It is adaptable, like plastic. Hence, neuroscientists call this neuroplasticity. How does neuroplasticity work? If you think of your brain as a dynamic, connected power grid, there are billions of pathways or roads lighting up every time you think, feel, or do something. Some of these roads are well-traveled. These are our habits, our established ways of thinking, feeling, and doing. Every time we think in a certain way, practice a particular task, or feel a specific emotion, we strengthen this road. It becomes easier for our brains to travel this pathway. Say we think about something differently, learn a new task, or choose a different emotion. We start carving out a new road. If we keep traveling that road, our brains begin to use this pathway more and this new way of thinking, feeling, or doing becomes second nature. The old pathway gets used less and less and weakens. This process of rewiring your brain by forming new connections and weakening old ones 
is neuroplasticity in action. The good news is that we all have the ability to learn and change by rewiring our brains. If you have ever changed a bad habit or thought about something differently, you have carved a new pathway in your brain and experienced neuroplasticity firsthand. With repeated and directed attention towards your desired change, you can rewire your brain. Which, uh, you know, you guys have heard me talk about neuroplasticity before. I know Brian has spent quite a bit of time through the years talking about the functionality of our brains. With that, in an article posted on SciTech Daily, neuroscientists have stated that our brains are fl famously flexible, as we saw, plastic or referencing sterile, uh, neuroplasticity, because the neurons can do new things by forging a new or stronger connection with other neurons. But if some connections strengthen, and this was something a little bit different that I had read here recently, that they realized that neurons must compensate lest they become overwhelmed by input. How many of you feel like you've got neurons that are overwhelmed? <laughs> so in this uh, new study in Science Weekly, researchers at the Picard Institute of Learning and Memory at MIT demonstrated for the first time how this balance is struck. When one connection called the synapse strengthens, Immediately, neighboring synapses weaken based on the action of a, a crucial protein called ARC. You know, and it's no wonder today that there's so much stress and anxiety in our lives today, and that we've got this input and information overload. And it's interesting that we can retrain ourselves, which I'm encouraged by, rather than being trained by all these amazing uh, computer whizzes and individuals that understand the science behind keeping us engaged on social media. You know, it's, uh, again, it's kind of hard to resist that blinking inbox or buzzing phone. You know, it's kind of like our dog Kona. Some of you guys have seen the videos, man. When there's a squirrel out in the backyard, you know how, I mean, she'd be doing her thing, just kind of kicking, and all of a sudden she hears that, dah, 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 and she just beelines for wherever that squirrel is, totally distraction from whatever else it was that she was doing. But Current studies have found that there's this, that a typical college student can't go more than two minutes without becoming distracted by social media, whether it's Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, text, Instagram, or just the plain old web. I don't even know how I would be able to function in school today with all the things that we have on that little device of ours. According to studies, again, the average business person receives somewhere around 109 emails a day which it seems like I, I've been really trying to clean that up too. I'm constantly unsubscribing from things. And I, I kid you not, it seems like every time I hit the unsubscribe button, another 10 thing, emails come through from sources I have absolutely no idea where they're coming from. But they're, they're, the, the, the scientists involved said that that trend's gonna continue. If it's 109 right now, we'll be looking at increases of 7% annually when it comes to all the information. Davida, are you okay? Not, not meaning to add to your stress levels here this morning. <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, within the uh, field of psychology, there's a, there's a manual called DSM. It's a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And I don't believe the new ones drop, but DSM, I believe, is the most recent one. And they generally go anywhere from five to seven years between new manuals based on research to deal with new phobias and uh, different mental issues that come up. And I guarantee you, I will put money on this, and I'm not a betting man, but this next 
uh, grouping, the DSM-6, I guarantee you it's going to be a download of information unlike DSM-2, 3, 4, 5 as far as all the stuff we've got going on today. There's all these new phobias regarding social media. There's fear of Facebook not measuring up. There's fear of Instagram. There's fear of Twitter not being smart enough. All this stuff when it comes to what we are dealing with on a daily basis. So really understanding that, there's a book that I was, rec was recommended for me to read years ago by Henry Kramer and Marco Pelizzari entitled Driven to Distraction. And what it's dealing with is identifying and giving you ways of overcoming some of the challenges you can have with attention deficit. So all of this represents huge challenges. There are inpatient centers now for people with technology addiction. And they're really thinking this through, this surge of tests and social media notifications in recent years is giving many of us terminal distraction in this, uh, this needing to be always available. Michael Sale, I'm a co-founder of the CEO of a company by the name of Vorex, says he gets over 1,000 messages a day. He says, I'm overwhelmed, he admits, responding to this onslaught daily of information. He's, he's got a global network when it comes to his business, so he's basically on call 24 hours a day. He barely sleeps taking calls from global users of his product from his bed. So, you know, with this, with all these interruptions and distractions, how in the world are people supposed to be able to listen to and hear the voice of God? Well, it's one of the reasons we're going to be engaging in emotional... Oh, I said it. We're going to be engaging in... <laughs> EHS, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, is a book that we're all going to be going through collectively. And it's been amazing what we've read so far. Uh, Jackie and I are reading one uh, entitled Emotional Healthy Spirituality for Leadership. But just that idea of making space in your life, being able to hear God speak, being able to understand Scripture and how it may be addressing you and just the difference, the transformation that can take place if you make that space. So... I just want to make sure that we, if we're physically capable, all of us are going to do our best to be here it's next Sunday, right? I mean, it got moved back a little bit, but we're going to be kicking that off next Sunday. Uh, we're going to have communion, and then we'll have a time where we are, have a uh, meal. We'll actually take communion into a meal where we can get some additional fellowship. But I really want to encourage each and every one of you to be unified on this with us as we go forward in that when it comes to spiritual health, I know I've had various points in time in my walk as a Christian where I've been unhealthy spiritually. And we all can deal with those things, but I think this is going to give us a foundation that will enable all of us to take our spirituality, our connection with God, and our community to a whole nother level. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Let's go ahead and turn there. Whoops, I was there. There we go. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1 reads, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. I've gone through this passage probably 50 times, and I think part of it is I've spent the time here recently with the old school Bible, no distractions. And you know, you've heard us talk about dwelling in the word, literally taking the time to read a passage and see what it is within a verse that stands out to you. And I had a lot of revelations that came out of this passage as I prepared for this message. But is it possible here that the writer of Samuel is trying to tell us that people who were listening were rare? And I think we'll see this as we go through the passage. I personally believe God, 
He's consistent. He doesn't change. He was talking and nudging people all the time. It wasn't that God wasn't sending out visions or his word. It's that people weren't hearing him. And in a lot of ways, isn't that what we're going through today? God is always speaking, calling, nudging, trying to get our attention, whispering, moving. He's always active. But do we hear him? You know, does it sometimes feel like the word of the Lord is rare? I mean, it sure can't seem that way. Our culture today is more divisive than it's ever been. And, we, you know, it's amazing the things that, again, vie for our attention. Who or what voices are we hearing? Who or what voices are we listening to? There's so much di- noise today. It can be incredibly difficult to listen or hear God. But isn't that exactly what we need to do to navigate these waters today? Listening for God is a purposeful slowing down of our mind and thought to actively connect with him. James Hamilton has a book entitled Directions, and he shares this insight about listening to God. I want to give a little bit of a background here. Yeah, it works out pretty well. You can kind of get an idea as to, uh, well, maybe not. I'll explain it to you. What I've got going on up here is ice houses. And back in the uh, 1800s, early 1900s, honestly, up until about 1950, uh, some of you may even remember this uh, You'd have these ginormous ice boxes that you could pull up to in a parking lot, and you'd drop in some coin, and a giant block of ice would come sliding out. Basically, this is what, and it was for old school ice boxes. People were using them in coolers, but prior to electricity, there was no real way to keep stuff preserved. So, what these guys would do, how many of you have seen Frozen? That wasn't rhetorical. You can go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> Won't be any masculinity shaming or anything like that going on here. Tish, I see you. Uh, but, you know, in the very opening scene, what, what do they got going on? They're out there on the lake, and they're sawing the ice. I think that's frozen. Sven, Sven, if I'm not mistaken, is a little kid. But this is what these guys would do. They would go out when the lakes and rivers froze over, and they cut out blocks of ice, and they'd build these homes, these uh, warehouses, no windows, uh, very tightly sealing doors, and they would store these blocks of ice, and it would generally get the general population through you know, towards the end of summer before the stuff would melt off. But they'd stack them, they'd cover it with sawdust. And um, so there was a situation in Wilmington, North Carolina, that really illustrates active listening. Uh, the, 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 the foreman of this one particular ice house, he's in and out, he's given direction, and in the process, he's constantly taking on and off his jacket. We have this amazing pocket watch that with the jacket coming on and off, got lost somewhere in one of those ice houses. And so he's in there, all the, uh, he's got all of his workers rallied together. They're raking through the sawdust. They're, they've got their, they're, they're filtering out the sawdust trying to find the watch. They could not find the watch. Well, there was this young kid that went in, and he was in there a very short period of time, and he came back out with a stopwatch. Everybody was amazed at, with all the effort that had gone into it, how is it this little kid was able to find the stopwatch? Well, what he did was, he went in, closed the door behind him, lay down on the sawdust, and he listened. And he heard the ticking of the watch. I just thought this was such a blow-away analogy. All this activity, all this effort, all this insight... Older people that one would think would have maybe a little bit more knowledge, they weren't able to find the watch. But this child that made space to listen, very simple concept, was able to find the watch. 
So just thinking through that, I mean, I love this. You know, when they asked me, said, I closed the door, I lay down in the sawdust, and I kept very still. And soon I heard the watch ticking. See, the question is not whether or not God is speaking, but whether or not we're being still enough, quiet enough to hear. Are we silencing the noise and the clamor of this life with purposeful, intense focus on listening to God speak? Hannah, Samuel's mother, this woman was at the end of a rope. She wanted a child. She was barren. And she was not able to have him. She was crying out to God. At one point, a whole other lesson. But uh, Eli, the high priest, heard her praying. And he basically challenged her on needing to stop drinking. He thought she was drunk, and he sent her home. So she kept taking this chance and appealing to God. And then she promised God that if she was able to have a child, she would dedicate this child to the Lord. She became pregnant. She had a son named Samuel, which means God heard. And she kept her promise to God, and Samuel grew up in the tabernacle from a very young age. Now, Samuel lived in the tabernacle, and the, the guessment here is he was probably weaned at about the age of two to three, at which point his mom took him to the tabernacle and turned him over to Eli. And it's, it's guesstimated at the point in time this passage took place, he was probably a preteen or a teen. So he lived in the tabernacle, slept in the tabernacle, helped the high priest Eli take care of the tabernacle. And the Bible, just really thinking this through, just the aspect of what was going on here in his life, it says that Samuel actually slept in the same area as the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant in verse 3. So again, Samuel was probably about 12 years old at this time. Verse 4, it says... Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lay down. So he went back and he lay down. When God first called to Samuel, Samuel thought it was Eli who was calling. He wasn't expecting God to speak. He hadn't been listening for God. He'd never heard the voice of God before. Now, in verse 6 it says, again the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. Now, verse 7, I found this very interesting. Where has Samuel been raised? Tabernacle. Who was raising Samuel? Eli. What was Eli. He was a high priest. Not only that, I'm going to end up taking one of these mic stands down yet. You like those cat-like moves there, though? You know, I feel that cord and I back off. So he, he, here we have this young man who's raised by a high priest in the tabernacle of the Lord. Eli's got two sons who are priests. In this kind of environment, how in heaven's name does this take place? Samuel did not yet know the Lord. word hadn't yet been revealed to him. What does that say about Eli? What does that say about Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas? To me, this was just mind-blowing for me, and this had never registered with me before. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. In the tabernacle, ministering before the Lord, and all these spiritual 
I mean, you know, what was the whole situation with the tabernacle? This was God's dwelling on earth. All the preparatory stuff that he did was so that the high priest could connect with God and mediate for God's people. Yet this young man who's being mentored did not know God. Three priests, temple of the Lord. Scary. Now, was God not speaking? Or was it a matter of people not listening? Somebody was listening, because if we go back to chapter 2, it says Eli was warned by a man of God. You know, Eli's sons were out of control. Uh, they were, there was adultery. There was prostitution. Uh, when it came to the Levitical law and the things that were set out before them in the temple, you know, the meat would be brought in. It would be sacrificed to the Lord. And they were supposed to take this special fork, poke it into the pot, and whatever pulled out was their portion. These guys were taking the best cuts of meat, the best portions, before that even took place. So they're getting fat off of everybody else. They are totally sinful. There's no demonstration as to what a relationship with God looks like. Yet Eli was, and with this all, Eli was warned by a man of God what was going to take place. Some commentaries actually believe it was Samuel's father, Elkanah, who's the one that brought the word of God to Eli and how God was going to deal with the disdain that Eli and his sons had towards the Lord. That's a whole other lesson for a whole other time, but this whole aspect of what's going on here really blew my mind. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? Took a little while to get through to Eli. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So we finally see him give some decent direction here in verse 9. So Eli told Samuel, go and lay down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Finally, Eli realized what was going on here and who was calling the boy. Then we see that Samuel takes the direction, he goes back and he lays down, and he waited and listened carefully for God's voice. This is what I love about God, and this is where we've got to make sure that you guys are here because you made space at one point in time or another to hear God. That's why you're here. Sometimes strangers can bring the word. Christian friends, mentors, kids' kingdom teachers, youth leaders, and yes, on occasion, even your evangelist can point you in the direction of God. In any event... When Eli told Samuel that God was calling him, Samuel became expectant. He was ready. He was ready to listen. He was ready to hear. You know, and for me, it took a while before I was willing to listen to or for God. But when I was about 28 years old, my son Stephen was born. And I, I personally believe this, and some of you may have heard me share this before, but that is when the scales fell off my eyes and my heart started to soften. Now, I was agnostic up until... Well, actually, until I was 32, but my son being born was a prompt. I remember thinking, there's got to be something more to this life. As I looked at my little boy, first time I had actually held or had a biological relative. I mean, I'm adopted. This was my first blood relationship. And I just remember looking at him and holding him and tears welling up. And it's like, man, there's so much more going on here than I'm aware of. And I think that, that set me up. That put me in a position where I could start hearing there was something more going on. 
You know, it reminds me of the whole thing with Bruce and Nora Teague, who reached out to Jackie and I. Thank God we were willing to... I, <laughs> Jackie's much more spiritual than I am, even before she became a disciple. I, had, I, I wanted nothing to do with Bruce. I wanted nothing to do with religion. Organized religion was my perspective on it. I felt like it was nothing but a bunch of hypocrisy. Zero desire. But they were persistent. <laughs> kind of like this thing right here with, with Samuel. Hey, Eli, I'm here, man. What did you want? I didn't say anything. God comes back a second time. Samuel. Hey, Eli, here I am. What do you want? Third time. And you know, the thing that's interesting about it, God didn't change up the approach, right? It was the same message each and every time. So really, when it comes to God being in a position where we're expected, we expect to hear from him and doing the necessary prep for that to take place. You know, I want you to do this this morning. I want you to think about your life and what events or people in your life God has used to better enhance your ability to hear God's voice. Maybe you haven't heard anything yet. You know, if you're here as our guest today, online or here in person, you're waiting, you're expected. Well, you heard something because you're here. There's a reason why you're watching. There's a reason why you're sitting here. There's a reason why you're listening. So, you know, maybe you haven't heard anything yet. Perhaps some of you have lost the clarity to hear or listen to him the way that you used to. So I'd like to appeal to you this morning. Think about what distractions you need to move out of the way in order for you to be prepared to hear God's call. You know, in verse 10, we're told that the Lord came and stood there calling as all the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And if we are to hear God's voice, we need to be like that child in the ice house with a watch. Knowing, he went into that ice house knowing he was going to find that watch. He might have very well gone in thinking he was going to hear that watch. But he went with the expectation that he was going to find it. Verse 10, when God called, Samuel notice, and he also, look at the words here, not in some new way, not in the same, not in some different way, not with fireworks, explosions, stuff to get his attention, but just that voice, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel's response was different this time, though. Your servant is listening. You know, and as a teen, just thinking through this, this is pretty courageous for him to say, speak, for your servant is listening. You know, when it really gets down to it, how many of us are really seeking to hear God's voice? Are we really listening? And, you know, ultimately, I think it can be a little risky. I'm speaking for myself here. It can be risky to ask God to speak. I know when Jackie, you know, when I was up in Colorado and Jackie was getting ready to transition, I'm asking for God to speak, and I was not liking the answers I got initially. I, I wanted to hear, now you're fine where you are in Colorado. You know, you're going to be participating in cattle drives, and you'll be able to have that Corvette, and someday have a percentage of the business, and all these different things. That's what I wanted to hear. That wasn't what I heard. I mean, literally, two days after moving, I get a phone call from Bruce Williams. You know, I heard you're moving to Colorado. I'm like, oh, no, Bruce, I already moved, buddy. I'm gone. I'm out of L.A. And then step by step by step, Jackie and I praying for clarity. And every step of the way, oh, my gosh. We asked to hear, 
And I don't know if we were super fired up about what we were hearing ultimately. So it can be risky asking God to speak to you. It changes our lives if we listen and if we act on it. And no matter what the details of the call are, God always calls us away from self and selfishness into a new life lived for God and others. So if we heed the call, we'll never be the same again. And that's probably a good thing. But much of the time, we aren't very good listeners. Listening can be a challenge, especially in relationships. I think one of the biggest challenges that I have with my wife is we'll be talking about something, and I think I know where she's going, and I start completing her sentences for you. You want to frustrate somebody, that's a real easy way to frustrate someone, right, babe? So annoying. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Thank you, too. Was that you, Gina? Who, who said that? Just being supportive. She just said she's being supportive. Well, amen. Uh, so, you know, obviously listening can be something that we all are challenged by in some way, shape, or another. But how much more challenging when it comes to having a relationship with God? In verses 11 through 14, God speaks to Samuel, delivers this message to him that will impact not just Eli, but the entire Israelite community. That's a whole other lesson. I don't have time to get into that today. So we're going to go ahead and jump down to 1 Samuel 3, 15. 1 Samuel 3, 15 reads, Samuel lay down and until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. I think there's a lot going on here. And the thing that stood out to me when I read this passage is the doors to the Lord had been closed because of a lack of spiritual leadership. This is something that he did every single day. But I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear this particular verse. Because what I believe happened is Samuel was ushering in a whole new age here. He'd open the doors, and the word of God was able to come out. Doesn't say that Samuel went to sleep after God spoke to him. And I have the feeling personally that he lay there in his bed for quite a while, wrestling through the direction that God had given him. I believe he meditated on God's word. And when the time came, Samuel spoke God's word to Eli and later to all of the Israelite community. He took time to digest what God had told him and then proved the truth of God's word by putting it into practice. I love verse 15. Samuel opened the doors to the house of the Lord. And then verse 19 says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of the words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. You know, what a contrast we have from the very beginning of the passage in verse 1 that states that the word of the Lord was rare and there were no visions, to this close of this segment with Samuel where it's, the Lord now, it's attested to the people that they have a prophet. They have a prophet that God could work through. This ongoing presence. God, not because he wasn't there, we know that he resided in the tabernacle. That he was with man on earth at that point. But that this ongoing presence would be something that 
the religious people of that day, the individuals, the priests, the high prophets, the, the priests were the ones that mediated from man to God. The prophet was the one that took God's direction and gave it to the people, that connection. But we'd gone from where the word was rare and there were no visions to all of a sudden there's this incredible prophet of God that opened the doors back up to the Lord's house. Clearly the emphasis of 1 Samuel chapter 3 is on listening. And the thing I really want us to think about and understand again the significance of emotional healthy spirituality is what are you listening to and who are you listening to? There's a lot of noise in our world today. There are a lot of distractions. And ultimately, are we really interested in hearing God? Hopefully, as we go forward and we close out 2022, no one will be able to look back and say, the word of the Lord was rare in South Bay. Lord's word is everywhere all the time. And God is continually speaking to each and every one of us. And when we hear God's voice and listen to what God is saying, when we act on what we hear from God, not only do our lives change, but our world around us will change as well. So I challenge myself to listen for God's continual prompting, calling and leading me in my life. And I pray that I will hear that. I, I challenge myself to allow God to be in control and get any distractions out of the way. What I'd like to ask you to do this morning is to join me in that challenge. Really think through the things that are vying for your attention that aren't godly, that aren't spiritual, and inviting God into your life, making a, a distinct decision to ask him verbally through prayer, however you want to connect, to take control and get those distractions out of your life so you can really connect with God. Because when the word of God speaks to us and through us, whether it be in action or only if we have to use the words, we, we've got the guidance, we've got the direction. And it's, it's so much more about what we do than rather what we say, but we've got that coming from God. It never fails. His word never fails. It never falls to the ground. And with that, may this city and this world become a better place because we've decided to actively listen to God. Let's bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer for communion. Father, thank you for the time that you give us right now to clear our minds and to focus on you and the significance of why we call ourselves Christians. Father, we, uh, we know that, can't understand the specifics behind it, but we know that you sent your son to die for us, to be that final sacrifice, that we could have a relationship with you, that our sins would be forgiven, and because of your mercy and grace, actually have a relationship with you. Father, thank you that the word for each of us that are here was not silenced. Thank you for the fact that each of us has had the opportunity for various visions in our lives as to what our lives as disciples can look like and having an actual purpose in life. But right now, more than anything, Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us to understand the need that we have for you, to be reliant on you, to look to you for guidance. Father, help us to always remember what took place at the cross as we take this bread and the fruit of the vine to remind us of the cost that it took for us to have that relationship with you. Father, we are so unworthy, but we're so grateful that you are mindful of us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit 
southbaychurch.us. 